We are in week two of a series simply called Bring Your Own Bible. Bring your own Bible. If you brought your Bible today, let me see it. Wave it at me. Come on, like we used to. Now, if you did not bring a Bible, uh, there is uh, an orange-looking Bible in the seat rack in front of you. You can use that this morning. And also, if you do not own a Bible, that is yours. You can take that orange Bible with you today. You can take it home with you. I want you to write your name in it and so that it will be written in your heart. Amen? And so uh, that is yours. And so if you would with me like we used to. Now, this is, now, now, now this is uncommon. Like Typically, like uh, we're so used to having all the scripture and stuff on the screen. And so, uh, so the idea of this series is, man, let's really just go back to some basics into the Word of God. And, uh, and so we will, essentially, we, we will be reading right from the Bible uh, in longer portions. And uh, uh, last week we read from Psalm 119. Uh, that's kind of how we concluded. We just, just, we, just, we just read the Word. We just read the Word. And, and it was beautiful. It felt sacred. And, and we'll do that again today. So if you would, turn with me. Well, see, we're not used to doing that anymore. Back, back in the day, we all say, turn, turn in your Bibles to two passages. Put your finger here, and we're going to start here, right? Uh, well, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and go ahead and put your finger there, because we're, uh, I'm going to lead into this this morning, and we will end with the reading of the Word. Uh, and so for, for, throughout this series, we're just going to... to um, uh, kind of get into the habit of looking at the word more specifically. Now, if you are using the Orange Bible, I'll let you know it's page 659. A little hack for you. And so, um, so last week, last week when we started, um, well, well, first of all, let me say this, that each year I like to take a, some time out of the year when I look at my preaching calendar, when I look at kind of the journey that I want our church to go on, I always want to find a time to put emphasis on Scripture. So, so uh, whether you have been in, in the faith for a long time or you're new to the faith, that, that we all can be rooted in, in an understanding of the importance and the foundation of God's Word. Uh, it is too easy to drift from what God's Word says when we follow our feelings or we follow the culture of our world. But I would tell you that the Bible is still relevant for today. It's still relevant for today. And so each year I want to take, I always like to take some time to really focus on the scripture and, and show you some things. So last week uh, when we kicked it off, we talked about the reliability of scripture. You remember this? We talked about the reliability of scripture and that when scholars look at ancient manuscripts in order to in order to determine whether an ancient manuscript is reliable, they ask themselves a few questions. They ask themselves, how many copies of handwritten manuscripts do we have? Because the more manuscripts you have, the more you can put the, together the whole story to see that there, it is that you, one complete document. And the second question they ask is, who wrote it and why? And the third question is a really good one, but you have to go back and listen to it because I don't remember off the top of my head. But it's a really good one. Um, Oh, yeah. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, basic, uh, the third question is, is uh, what is the earliest copy we have to the original? And so we looked at those three questions uh, that scholars use to look at other ancient manuscripts. Uh, two that we looked at was, one was the Gallic Wars, and the second was Tacitus' work. And uh, both of those, those, uh, those writings come from ancient times and are the source 
for a lot of our world history that we get in our universities and in our schools. So if you look at a world history book, a lot of that information came from uh, Gallic Wars and Tacitus' writings. And so when we ask ourselves those three questions of those documents, how many are there, who wrote them, and what was the earliest copy, we see that there are 10 copies, 10 of Gallic Wars. So because there's 10, they say, nobody, questions, nobody questions the reliability of the Gallic Wars, where we get a lot of world history from. If we look at Tacitus' work, he wrote a commentary on, on, on Rome, uh, decades worth. There are two copies of Tacitus' work, and nobody questions the reliability of these documents. But then when we ask that question of the Bible, and we say, how many manuscripts are there of the Bible? These are handwritten copies from ancient times. How many are there? What we find is that there are over 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible. And, and, and then in 1947, which some of you were alive in 1947, during, in 1947, there was a discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls where it, they discovered more manuscripts that far dated those, the earliest ones we had. For instance, the, the earliest copy of Isaiah we had before 1947 was dated to be 100 A.D. Now, and then in the Dead Sea Scrolls that they found in these caves, they found an, a full copy of Isaiah dated like 1100 B.C., so in other words, we have now, since 1947, we have two copies of the book of Isaiah that are 1,000 years apart. And when scholars compared the two, they're 95% accurate. The only variance being in spelling and grammar, but it is whole, 100% true in content. They've also found uh, every book of the Old Testament in those caves in, in one shape or form except Esther. And so, what we, so last week what we said was we know that the Bible we hold in our hands is reliable. It is what the authors wrote. Now we can get into translations and all that fun stuff, but, but here's the deal. Over the next several weeks, what I want to help you with is ultimately this question that we're going to look at today. Why study the Bible why study the Bible? And, um, and so th over the next several weeks, today we're really going to talk about why study the Bible. Over the next several weeks, I'm going to begin to give you tools to help you study the Bible. Things that will help you maybe answer questions that you've always had, like, like uh, who's this God in the Old Testament? Why does he seem so mean? Uh, does the Bible contradict itself? Th things of this nature that people struggle with when they read the Bible. And so there's, there's several things we're going to talk about, but today I want, I want to talk about why study the Bible. Now, there, I, I can think of at least seven reasons why people don't read their Bible. And when I say people, I'm not talking about the, um, an unbeliever. I'm talking about people that follow Jesus, they, they call themselves Christian, but they just, they don't read the Bible. They don't study it. And, and so, so one of the reasons is, well, it's just too boring. It's too boring. Uh, it's, it's much more entertaining to uh, you know, scroll through YouTube or, or whatever it is you do. And the Bible just seems far too boring. It's just too dry, right? And the second reason is it's just too time-consuming. Like, like, who's got the time to sit down and read the Bible? Uh, well, I would argue that everybody's got time to read the Bible. Um, and uh, you ha always make time for what's important to you. And the third thing is, is that the Bible, some would say, it doesn't seem relevant. In other words, they just don't see how the Bible has anything to say about today. Um, 
But, but I, hope, I hope that you can see over the next few weeks just how relevant the Bible really is. Uh, a, a fourth reason is, is people find it just hard to understand. And, and, and really for good reason. Because the Bible was written um, by people in ancient times and ancient places. The Bible was written in a very eastern world and we live with a very western mindset. So, so many times a barrier to understanding the Bible is we read it through western eyes. We, we read it in our Western, through our Western worldview, and, but in order to sometimes better understand the Bible, we have to understand uh, more about who the author was and, and the place that they lived in at the time, because it was written by real people in a real time and at a real place. The more we understand that, we call it context, the more we can actually gain from the scripture. So, so people feel it's hard to understand, and, and duly so. Uh, the five that people just feel unqualified when it comes to reading scripture. Um, in other words, they just feel like you know, like I, I didn't go to Bible school, I, I didn't uh, grow up in this, and so I just feel like I'm not qualified to understand or, or study uh, the Bible. Uh, another reason is people feel uncomfortable with this contents. In other words, man, I started reading in like Exodus and Joshua, and I started reading about like wars and, 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 and all of these things, and it just, oh, it just doesn't feel right that, that there's like these battles and people dying and, and, uh, and, and just get uncomfortable with the content. Uh, um, and, and also, ultimately, people feel intimidated because they just don't know how. They just don't know how. And so I, I want to help unpack some of the, these things for you over the next several weeks. I want to really, really want to talk about why study the Bible. Why study the Bible? The first thing I would say is that Scripture is essential to growth. It's essential to growth. That when we, when we participate in, in the reading and studying of Scripture, it leads us to spiritual growth. First Peter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Nudge your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. Some of you enjoyed that way too much. But it's time, it's time to grow up. I see, I see Peter talking about three things in, in this particular verse. I think he's talking about attitude, appetite, and our aim. And so when we look at attitude, Peter is describing in the attitude of a newborn baby. Uh, because just as a baby reaches to grab the bottle, so we should reach to grab a hold of this book. We should be reaching to grab a hold of the words of our Lord. Now, the baby has to have milk to sustain its life physically. And uh, it, now I'm, I feel like I'm far removed from the baby stage of life. Um, praise God. <laughs> um, I have two 13-year-olds and a 9-year-old now, and they feed themselves, y'all. It's awesome. It's really great. Uh, but I remember when, especially when the twins were, were infants, uh, holy, it was just a full-time job. Um, it seemed that we could no sooner feed them that we were changing them and it, it was uh i mean my wife is a is a she's a rock star and uh and what she did during those early days 
Um, but babies, they have to have that constant um, uh, milk to really thrive physically. And I would tell you that you have to have the scriptures to sustain your life spiritually. Um, you know, I've talked with many people over the years of, of my life in ministry that ultimately they just begin to feel an emptiness inside. They feel like the, the routine of church just, it's just not doing it for them anymore. And it, many, many, many times it always comes back to they don't have a personal relationship with the Lord through his word. And, and far be it from us that, that we ever become a church where that our, our teaching and our preaching is void of the word. Because it just leads to people then just feeling hungry and thirsty for more, and they don't know what, and it's because we're not teaching the word. So scripture is essential for growth. Now, I remember when I was a young, young father uh, with little babies um, that although they can't communicate with words to us um, when they get hungry or need changed or are tired, uh, they just cry. And so when you have infant uh, twins, uh, there's just a lot of crying. And then you're crying, and you're like, why am I crying? Everybody's crying. It's just, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. I, I remember um, I, that... I remember that I don't remember like those first seven months when the twins were born because it was just, it was just a lot. And, um, but newborn babies, they need fed frequently or they become fussy. Fussy. I got to tell you uh, that I have met so many fussy Christians. As a pastor, it is one of my great joys to deal with fussy, fussy believers. They're just fussy. Gary, they just fuss about everything, man. And, and I would say, just like a newborn baby, if you're getting fussy, you need to check the frequency of your feeding. When babies are fussy, the first thing we say is they need fed. And Peter says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave it. Grow up in your salvation. So if, if you're fussy, now if you just nudged your neighbor, shame on you, <laughs> especially if it's your spouse. <laughs> check yourself. But if you're fussy, I, I challenge you, check the frequency of your feeding. Are you, are you in the scriptures? It, it feels like, you know, following Jesus 101, right? Have your daily devotions. But I have to tell you, it is so essential to be in the Word. And I would, I would really encourage you, four times a week, at least four times a week, be in, the, be in the Word in some way. So that's attitude, like newborn babies, attitude. And I also feel like it's about appetite. He says, crave, crave it. Scripture is something that we should long for, um, over the last year, I've been on a more of a bit of a health journey, and um, uh, I've done a couple Whole 30s. A Whole 30 is is a is a plan where basically, um, let's see if I get this right. Um, I, I actually I stopped counting what I can't eat and only count what I'm allowed to eat, which is basically meat, vegetables, and fruit. Uh, no no gluten, uh, no dairy, 
things like this. And so when, when you really hold to that for 30 days, uh, those first couple weeks, you might experience cravings for things you don't, you're not allowed to have, right? Um, but by the end of it, your cravings will begin to change, and you begin to crave what is good, you begin to crave what is right, and, and, and now, you know, your, your taste begins to alter, and, and this same thing happens to us spiritually. The more you say no to temptation and yes to what God's called you to, the more you begin to crave good things. And so, so some, you know, I heard this old preacher say this like this one time. Maybe you've heard it too. But inside of all of us, there's two dogs, a good dog and a bad dog. And they're always fighting. Have you heard this? They're always fighting. And whichever one wins is the one you feed the most. And so if you, if you want the good to win, then you need to feed the good dog and starve the bad dog. And I would say that in the inside of us, there is that conflict of spirit and flesh. And whichever you feed the most will win. It will win in time of chaos. It will win in time of weakness. It will win in time of vulnerability. So if you know your weakness, then feed into your spirit. And that is what the word of God will do. It will begin to flip those appetites and feed your spirit. Now, uh, many people have said at one time or another, I'm reading the Bible and I'm just not getting anything out of it. Have you been there? This, uh, this really is a problem with us, and it, with us, and it's not a problem with the book. Psalms 19.10 says that Scripture is sweeter than honey. But you would never know that by looking at some Christians today. One of my... One of my uh, this will be, again, familiar to you. It's something that I've, we've said before, but I want to remind you that there are really three kinds, three kinds of Bible readers. Maybe you'll remember these. But the first kind of Bible reader is the medicine reader. In other words, Scripture is like medicine to them because to them it tastes really bitter, but they know it's supposed to make them better. It's better, but it's going to make me better. That's a medicine reader. And, and then we have the shredded wheat readers. You remember this one? Scripture is like shredded wheat. Now, I'm not talking about frosted shredded wheat. I'm talking about the old school, big block shredded wheat that you have to chop up with your spoon. I have no idea why my parents ever bought that stuff. But it's like shredded wheat. In other words, it's, we know it's nourishing, but man, is it dry. Like, like eating a bale of hay dry. But then there's a third type of reader. And it is the strawberries and cream type reader. This is the kind of Bible reader that just can't get enough of it. But how did they acquire this kind of taste? Only by devouring it. So which of these three types would you say you are? Are you a medicine reader? I need medicine, I'm going to go to the Bible. Man, it's bitter, but it's supposed to make me better. Are you a, a shredded wheat reader? It's, it's nourishing, but man, is it dry. 
Or you a strawberries and cream reader? I just can't get enough of it. And I would tell you that you become a strawberries and cream type reader for over time. The more you devour, the sweeter it continues to be. So there's a purpose to all of this, which brings us to this third, this third thing that I believe Peter talked about. He talked about our attitude, talked about our appetite, and now our aim. What is the aim of the Bible? This, this verse says, so that by it you might grow. You might grow up. Consuming the word of God is not so that you may know. It's so that you will grow. If you are a so-I-can-know type reader, you're annoying (laughs) because you just want to argue. You want to know so that you can argue. But, But the point of Scripture is to grow, not just know. Because ultimately, it's not to just fill your head with facts. It's to transform your life. That's what this will do. It will transform your life. So scripture is essential for growth. The second thing is that scripture is essential for spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5. I hope you still got your finger in Matthew 5, by the way. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. I could say a lot right there, but I won't. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. It continues. You need milk, not solid food. But, but Peter said crave pure spiritual milk, right? Remember that? He said crave it. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So it is possible. It is quite possible, and it is done all the time. It is quite possible to grow old and never grow up. It has actually made, this type of thing has actually made uh, my life as a young leader over, over the 15 years I've been in ministry quite difficult. When I encounter people that are old enough to be my parents or grandparents, and I'm appalled at their immaturity, I just assumed everybody grows up. Well, they do. Well, they grow old, but sometimes they don't grow up. And this makes it incredibly difficult sometimes So it's possible, it is absolutely possible to sit in the rows of a church and grow old in the faith without ever maturing in that faith. Solid food is for the mature. In other words, as you grow up in your faith, you learn to feed yourself. Infants crave milk, but they can't feed themselves. Those who crave milk a good New York strip. Come on, Jesus. They go to the meat market. And they get that one-inch thick, thick New York strip, well marbled. They dress that thing with salt, pepper, a little rosemary, a little olive oil, let it sit on the counter for about 45 minutes. And then they get the grill nice and hot. I mean, as hot as you can get it. They slap that thing on the grill. 
four minutes, quarter turn, four minutes, flip it over. You got the nice diamond marks. Four minutes, quarter turn, four minutes, let it rest for about eight. Cut in that thing, medium. And then you devour. Come on. There's, that's maturity, man. That you, you can feed yourself. Maybe like me, that maybe one time you have said, I keep going to church, but I just don't feel fed. It just means that you reached a point of spiritual maturity that you need to start feeding yourself. It doesn't mean that our job meeting together is over. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to, I'm here to help feed you and inspire you, but you will grow to a point where, where just hearing me 30 minutes a week it's not going to be enough. So, so if you start feeling, in, feeling stuck, saying, I just I keep going to church, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. Well, uh, well, if your pastor's preaching the word, and I hope that he is, then it's time for you to slap that steak on the grill, baby. It's time to feed yourself. This is how I would define what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is the consistent application of elementary things not the occasional application of extraordinary things. It's not that you can occasionally lay hands on the sick and they recover, or that you can occasionally lead a small group, or that you can occasionally pray for someone at work. No, no, no. Real spiritual maturity is that you are consistent in the basics of our faith. And I would say that always, always, always includes the Word of God. Always, always. And uh, so, so we know that Scripture is essential for growth. It's essential for spiritual maturity. And the third thing is that Scripture is essential for spiritual effectiveness. It is essential for us to be effective in our faith. Look at 2 Timothy. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. This is really essential as we move forward in some of these things in the next few weeks to remember that all Scripture, how much of it, New Life? All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if we are going to be spiritually effective, we have to commit then to teaching. We have to commit to preaching. We have to commit to even correcting and training and living this word, living it. So it's essential for doctrine and teaching. Scripture will, will structure your thinking. If you're not thinking correctly, then you're not living correctly. So scripture is essential for basically the foundation of what we believe. Now, if, if, if you ever feel like you're contradicting scripture, don't change what the Bible says. Change what you see. Change what you believe. It's essential for rebuking. That is that uh, it will tell you when you are out of bounds. Like a good umpire, sometimes a call is made and it says you're out. That three strikes and you're out. You stepped out of bounds. This, this is essential in rebuking. It's essential for correction. Like when you finally choose to deal with your kitchen's 
junk drawer. Don't act like you don't got one. We all, we all got the junk drawer. When you finally choose to deal with the junk drawer in your kitchen, Scripture opens up the doors of the junk drawer in our life, and it helps us clean it out. It is good for correction, and it's essential for teaching. It teaches, it teaches how to live the best life to equip you for every good work. Here's the thing. What you believe will determine how you behave. Belief is behavior. It determines how you behave. So scripture is essential for growth. It's essential for, it's essential for spiritual maturity. It is essential for spiritual effectiveness. Now, that, that is like a, a good introduction to why study the Bible as we uh, will move forward over the next few weeks where we will begin to unpack some things that will now hopefully help you um, experience the scriptures a little bit better or maybe answer some of the big questions that, uh, that our world faces about the Bible, uh, some, some of those tough, um, maybe seemingly tough questions about contradictions and things of that nature. And uh, so, so over the next few weeks, I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible in context. And uh, sometimes it, that means le- reading the Bible literally, like it means what it literally says. But where we miss it is when we l- read the Bible literally and we don't read it literally because there's different types of literature in the Bible. What we're going to talk about wh- what about uh, exegesis and eisegesis, which are big words that we don't really use very often, but eisegesis means that when we exegete the Bible, we are pulling meaning out of it Eisegesis means that we're putting things into it. We're, we're reading into the Bible. So we can, we can read into the Bible to make it culturally correct. We can read into the Bible and make it politically correct. But we're called to exegete, and, and, and that is extract meaning from the Bible and then adjust us. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you uh, something called the, the progress of revelation, which is why sometimes things in the Old Testament don't make sense to us. It's because God wasn't done yet. It wasn't fully revealed until Jesus. So, so we're going to talk all about all kinds of fun stuff in the next few weeks. But I wanted to give you some, some grounding for why study the Bible. And I hope that helps somebody. Did that help anybody today? I hope that helped you. Now, if you still have your finger in Matthew 5, I'm proud of you. If not, let's go to Matthew 5. And I want to conclude today by just reading. By just reading Scripture. Uh, because we will be reading maybe a longer portion, uh, we will not, it will not be on the screen, but... Feel free to grab a Bible in the seat in front of you. If it's the Orange Bible, it's page 659. Matthew chapter 5. At this moment in time, where, where we are reading in Matthew 5, this is actually Jesus' very first sermon. His very first sermon. And so many people were in attendance this day that he had to climb up on a mountain in order to address the crowd. And uh, I've preached... I don't know, a lot of sermons. Actually, March 13th will be my 100th sermon here at New Life. Isn't that cool? I don't know why I know that, but, um, but this is Jesus' first sermon, and uh, I've never had to climb on a hill to get away from a crowd before, but he did. That's why he's Jesus, and I'm a nobody. But Matthew 5, let's just read the words of Jesus. Now, in your Bible, if you have red letters where Jesus spoke, you're going to see a lot of red letters here. So in a moment, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to read. I'm not going to have a lot to say as we read. I just want the 
the reading of the word to just be a sacred moment to all of us. So Holy Spirit, just give us ears to hear what you're saying. Give us hearts that are open, minds to understand that in some way, something in what will be read from your word, it will not be returned void, but it will accomplish what it is sent forth to do. Something will nudge us, something will encourage us, something will correct us, something might rebuke us, but it's purely from your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5, chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and, and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, you, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according, accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, you will certainly not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I want to pause for a second. Many times in the New Testament where it says something like, as it is written, or you have heard it said, and then it quotes something. As you see there in verse 21, it quotes, you shall not murder. Um, what is it quoting? It is quoting the Old Testament. And now in many of your Bibles, there may even be a, like a footnote some kind of marking there that will actually point you to where that was said in the Old Testament. 
So just when you read the Bible, just look for that kind of stuff. So again, verse 21, you have heard it said that it was said to the people long ago in the Old Testament, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, remember this is Jesus talking, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is, uh, basically means you're good for nothing, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are uh, offering your gift at the altar, and, then, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to them, and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while, they, uh, while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, you have heard it said, and where did he, was this said? In the Old Testament. You have heard it said, quote, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, you could le- read this literally if you want to. But uh, if we read that literally, um, no one would be able to see or shake hands today. So what in the world is Jesus saying? If something's causing you to stumble, get it out of your life. Get it out of your life. If pornography causes you to stumble, you need accountability. There's software you can put on your computer that'll help you be accountable. If, if lying and cheating is a problem for you, you need accountability. If stealing is a problem for you, then, then you need to make sure that, that you're not at the wrong place at the wrong time where you will be tempted. Anywhere where you will face temptation, you need to remove those, uh, those areas of opportunity out of your life. You need to minimize those areas of opportunity. You need accountability in your life. You need people that are going to be honest and real with you. You need to be honest and real with other people. So whatever it is that might be throwing you off your course, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Just get it out of your life. Remember, there's two dogs on the inside of all of us. Starve the bad dog. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And where was that said? In the Old Testament. Yep, you saw the quotes. 32, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except, except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or by God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for this is the city uh, of the great king. And do not swear by your head, or you, or you, uh, for you cannot make even your own hair white or black. 
All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And where was that said? It was said in the Old Testament. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, for if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow to you. We're almost done. 43. You have heard that it was said, again, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yes, that's what the Old Testament says. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only those of your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that, that is an unusual practice for us on Sunday morning to just read like that. But I think what we just read is far better than what I could have ever said. Let me ask you a couple questions as we wrap up this morning. One question that um, a mentor of mine asked me years ago, and I've written it on a post-it note, and it's been on the inside of every desk I've ever sat in, is this. How likely are people to pick up a Bible and read it than they are to look at your life and want it? How likely the people at your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, your family members, how likely are they to pick up the Bible and read it or look at your life and want it? In other words, I would say it's far more important to fulfill Scripture than to fight to be right about it. The true mark of spiritual maturity is not how much you understand, but how much you will use. Most people in this room understand things of Scripture and aren't using them. Would you rather win big fights about Scripture and be theologically correct, or would you rather be out there fulfilling Scripture and helping transform our world? So you've heard it said. Hmm. Uh, come on, was that fun? I'm having fun. I'm having fun. And I hope that, you know, uh, the word says that like rain before it returns to the sky, it doesn't do that before, before nourishing the earth and plants. And so the word of God it does not return void unless, until it's accomplished what it's sent forth to do. And as we read the word, it went out, and I'm praying it accomplished something in each and every one of us. Let's stand together and pray. And then we'll just, I know it's a little different than our usual Sundays, but I believe there's power in the word. Father, we just thank you again. You're the best dad I've ever had. You're the best dad I've ever had. 
You watch over us. You care for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would renew a hunger in each and every one of us. Whatever journey someone's on today, I just pray that you know the Lord watches over you. He sees you. So Lord, I just pray that you just bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, help me give God one big praise again this morning. Awesome. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you guys next time.